You're listening to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. We did the redraftables from 1996 through 2003. We stopped. People got upset. They wanted it to come back. We did the 2004 redraftables on the Bill Simmons podcast this week. We're about to run that here. We're going to be doing 05 on Sunday night with Ryan Rossillo on the Bill Simmons podcast. We'll eventually run it here. 06, 07, 08 on the BS podcast. And then 09 is going to be on the Zach Lowe podcast and will eventually land on this feed as well. So we're doing at least 03 through 09. Then after that, I'm not sure. You guys will really have to beg. But this is it. The Redraftables is back. The Redraftables continues. This is the Book of Basketball 2.0. Book of Basketball, the 2004 Redraftables. Joe House is here. We watched this draft together. I had just gone back to ESPN full-time uh, after I was trying to split time with Jimmy Kimmel Show and ESPN. Went back, flew back to Boston in June 2004, got a Ritz-Carlton suite. You, our buddy Jacko, and my dad, we all watched the draft together. My stupid dad went down there early at the hotel bar and had two apple teenies and was basically didn't speak for the first two hours. You were just looking at the room service menu the entire time, trying to figure out what we were going to order. And Jacko was just making joke after joke that I couldn't print in the column. So I, I don't know if it was a successful experiment, but I do remember really enjoying myself. How about you? It was a very success, successful experiment. And I went back and read your 2004 diary and it's amazing what you were able to print. I mean, I know uh, it's just the comedy lines were different back then. You just kind of made jokes. When I, I enjoyed we, them. We were making fun of Pavel Pascal Dine's uh, pituitary gland issue and things right. that would never fly now. People would be, we'd have pituitary gland uh, support group people coming at us on Twitter. That's yeah, right. Different times. Different um, times. The big, the big thing with this draft. Oh, we should mention you did wear a Tom Gugliotta throwback jersey for the draft. It was a, and it was a gift from you. I think you, there was a whole thing about your triumphant return to ESPN. They put us up in the, in, at the Ritz. Uh, I mean, which is to say they got you a room and Jacko and I crashed in it. And yeah. uh, there was like a poster. There's all this stuff. And all I remember is arriving in Boston and basically being drunk until I got on the plane to go back. Yeah, that's really that's, what I remember of that trip. That sounds accurate. The big debate of this draft was Dwight Howard versus Emeka Okafor. And you and I were both in the mindset of college should matter. If you're succeeding at the highest level in the highest intensity games, that should matter. We're coming off the 2000 draft with Carmelo and Darko. And that one, that's just revindicating how we felt. Carmelo had a good rookie season. Darko was a non-factor for the Pistons. And over and over again, it's like, why take these unproven guys versus these guys that we've seen that we know we're good, are good? I got to say, even though this was a loss for us, like I wrote in the draft, I wrote the magic around the clock with the first pick. If they're smart, they take a Mecca Okafor. 
if they're dumb, they take Howard. It's that simple. I still don't feel bad about that because I feel like if Okafer doesn't get hurt, he's just a guaranteed 15 and 12 with two blocks a game for like 15 years. I really liked his game. I don't know. If, do you remember if we knew about his back problems back then? No, we definitely did not know about his back problems. And that really was the height of this thing we've talked about uh, over the course of a bunch of these redraftables, which is the bias um, that we shared around watching college guys succeed on a big stage um, in the NCAA tournament with all those eyes and all that pressure and having that, you know, play a part in, in our uh, forecasting how they might prove out in, in the pros. This draft, that 2004 tra- draft, 14 of the first 29 picks either didn't go to college or, or, or were foreign um, folks. And I, we were just very skeptical, uh, and it, it comes through in that draft diary, of the unproven talents. Dwight, um, you know, jammed it right up our rear ends, so to speak. He did. Um, so if I had to describe this draft in retrospect in, in one way, it would just be that it was an unlikable draft. I disliked just about everything that played out with how this came out. I had a list. Livingston goes fourth. He blows out his knee in one of the ghastliest knee injuries ever. I love Livingston. We're going to talk about him later. Al Jefferson had one of the all-time bad luck careers for if you did it 20 times, this is probably the 20th worst version of it. We'll go through that. Okafor's back kept going out. Josh Smith, he's in this draft. J.R. Smith, polarizing. Sebastian Telfair, Robert Swift, Delonte West. Those are two, two uh, 30 for 30s. Chris Humphreys, married a Kardashian. Kirk Snyder got punched out by Jerry Stackhouse. And then Ben Gordon, who we all liked as like, this is going to be like microwave 2.0. He's going to be the next Vinnie Johnson. And then he gets signed by the Pistons and his career just tanks. And now he's at that point of his life where he's writing the players tribune pieces about what he learned. I had so much higher expectations for him. And then finally, obviously Dwight Howard as, as the, uh, the headliner of this draft who we did a whole pyramid podcast about on book of basketball, about how he's one of our least favorite superstars ever house. What was fun about this draft? Just the uh, jokes, just the, comedy? the jokes. That that's it. Just Victor Crapia. It was really a Victor Crapia kind of draft. <laughs> Who's in retrospect? So, all right. So it goes Dwight Howard goes one to Orlando, Emeka Okafor two to Charlotte, Ben Gordon three to Chicago, Clippers four. They take Sean Livingston. They trade down. They have the second pick in this draft. They dump a contract and trade down from two to four and get a second rounder out of it. We were apoplectic. Nobody ever drops. Because we thought Okafor was a sure thing. Right. They're trading backwards. All they're getting is a second round pick and dumping a salary that they shouldn't have signed anyway. Your Washington Wizards were number five. And you were pumped about this. You were excited. At that point, Luau Dang was in there. Andre Iguodala, uh, Devin Harris, Josh Childress. And your Wizards traded out of the pick. I didn't mind it then. I might have minded it then. I don't mind it now. Because what Antoine Jameson did for that era of the Wizards, it made them competitive. It, 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 
uh, directly led to one of my most enjoyable periods, one of my most enjoyable stretches as a Wizards fan, which was about two months in the 2006-2007 season when they went like 22-9 and nine and Gilbert Arenas really ascended to the, to the top of uh, the superstar stage. Um, and Jameson was an important part of that. So in retrospect, thumbs up for Jameson. The trade was the number five pick, the Christian Leitner contract. Thanks, MJ. Thanks for that contract. And Jerry Stackhouse for uh, Antoine Jameson, which was a lot. I actually think they you could make a case that they overpaid. But at the same time, they got Jameson, who you know had only been in the league six years at that point, and who was a 20 points a game guy. So defensible trade. Uh, more interesting trade for Dallas because... Stackhouse ends up being a key guy for them in 06 when they make the finals run. And Devin Harris, you know, really gave them some speed. Then they were able to turn him into Jay Kidd a couple years later. So um, all the way around, that was fun. So anyway, uh, Dallas moves into that five spot, takes Devin Harris. Number six was Josh Childress by the Hawks. And then we have some more chicanery at number seven. Phoenix is on the clock. They are about a week and a half away from signing Steve Nash and signing Quentin Richardson and building the seven seconds or less sons. We don't know that yet. They need cap space, apparently, allegedly to, uh, to do the Quentin Richardson thing. And they end up selling the number seven pick to Chicago and getting a 2006 number one from Chicago and some cash. And you look at this now, and this is a great fork in the road Oh, man, because Lou Aldang and Andre Iguodala are on there. And they just could have, instead of paying $40 million for Quentin Richardson, they could have just taken Lou Aldang or Iguodala. Iguodala was from Arizona. This was weird at the time. We didn't like this when this happened, remember? Yeah, I, I um, still don't have a clear sense as to what Phoenix thought uh Quentin Richardson was bringing to the table for them. I mean, you know, he, he had a little bit of that microwave scoring ability, right? He, he, he could come in hot sometimes. And he, he made, so, and he was a three point shooter too. He was so ball dominant is my recollection. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe the advanced stats don't back it up, but I just remember the ball stopping with Quentin Richardson too much. I think you're right. So you think like just if they do dang, then they have the money to pay Joe Johnson a year later, you wow. know, Iguodala is probably higher upside as we're going to do in our redraft, but they signed Nash. They could have just, let's say they just take dang. They already have Joe Johnson. They already have Amari. And this is a team that in the Oh five playoffs really had a chance to make the finals until Joe Johnson got hurt. But I think dang, you know, maybe he's not as ready as Quentin Richardson that year. So that maybe you say it hurts them a little bit that first year, but then as it keeps going, Dang was a word. I mean, you look at Dang's minutes per game. He he was he was leading the league in minutes every single year. His or defense. was up there. And think about him, you know, as a perimeter defender, um, you know, during that 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 stretch. He was so good defensively. Yeah, so that happened seven. And then at number eight, some comedy. <laughs> Toronto takes Raphael Arujo at number eight, who I liked in the draft diary as 
like a rich man's Mark Madsen, which is also really insulting. You think like that's not who you want your eighth pick, like a better Mark eight. Madsen. Right. Um, and he ends up being one of the all-time legendary busts. He he plays 139 games in three seasons, 11 minutes a game, 2.0, 2.8 points, 2.8 rebounds. And was one of those guys you saw him once on an NBA court and you're like, oh, it's over. <laughs> there was like no chance, no way, no roadmap for him to be a good pro. And what it really hurts is Iguodala is the next pick. He, he was uh, one of a handful of negative win share guys. He was second from last in, in win shares of everybody that, that played at, at all um, from that 2004 draft class. And you think about it, blowing that pick paves the way for the terrible Vince trade they made, which was, you know, he had a gun to their head and was forcing them to do something. But uh, it was the worst salary dump trade of a superstar we probably had in the last 25 years, where not only did they not get anything back, they had to take Alonzo Mourning's contract and they actually like made their cap situation worse. But you look at that, that 05 Raptors team, which goes 33 and 49. They have a young Chris Bosch. They have Vince, who's a 20 to 23 to 25 point a game score at the time. They have our friend Jalen Rose. They have Morris Peterson, Danielle Marshall. Um, Ray for Alston's there. If they take Iguodala, there's a whole roadmap where that team is all of a sudden pretty athletic and pretty competitive right away. And then they don't have to make the Vince Carter trade. It may, that, it's a weird what if fork in the road, right? Because the yeah. Rizzo thing on top, I that might have been if Vince Carter just came out now and was like, "Look, as soon as I scrimmage with Rizzo, I had to get the fuck out of there. I just had to. I couldn't believe they took him. I would actually, I think that's defensible. <laughs> yeah, that that would be the finally a legit justification, right? Um. So anyway, so that happens. Iguodala falls to Philly at nine. And then the the tenth pick, Cleveland, Luke Jackson from Oregon, who played seventy three games in his career. And when I was doing the draft diary, I had a note in here about um. They they said he didn't bother coming to the draft. And Andy Katz reported they had they go to Andy Katz. Andy Katz reports. Jackson just felt more comfortable watching it at home. That's a fucking red flag house. <laughs> you think? I'm going to be a lottery pick. I'm more comfortable watching this at home. What does that mean? Well, how about this? Did he know he was going to be a lottery pick? Maybe he knew himself. Maybe he, Luke Jackson was very in touch with who he was. It's like, well, somebody's going to take me 10. Yeah. Luke Jackson's like, I'm going to suck. I'm not going. I'm terrible. <laughs> So here's the other thing with that. You know, LeBron's on the Cavs by then. They're trying to build the Cavs in a certain way. And Iguodala comes within one pick of landing and landing with LeBron. Wow. And when you think about it, like what a perfect sidekick for LeBron that could have been. So pretty interesting. What if they're Golden State lands B. Adrian's at number 11. You and I always like B. Adrian's. There's nothing wrong with that guy. He just somehow or another, he got the free throw yips. Right. But in the uh, in the We Believe season, I thought he had some good moments. But yeah, good rebounder, a little bit of a rim runner, and then he couldn't shoot free throws to the point that it feels like it ruined his career. Number 12, and now it gets really crazy. 
So the Celtics had the 15th pick and it's all high schoolers and who the fuck knows. You, you have, for a high school standpoint, you have Robert Swift, Sebastian Telfair, Al Jefferson, Josh Smith, J.R. Smith, Darrell Wright. Uh, all high schoolers figured to go around this range. And I remember I really wanted Al Jefferson. I was really excited about him because they were just like 18-year-old, low-post guy, old school. But there were all these rumors the Celtics were going to trade it for Robert Swift. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And this becomes really tough when you're talking about Danny Ainge as a GM. There's been some bullets that he's dodged over the last two decades that are not just bullets. They're like the Teflon coated bullets, the cop killer bullets that could break the bulletproof vest. Like they're like bullets. They're bad. This was one of them. They offered his 2004 first round pick and a future first rounder to move up three spots to take Robert Swift. That's been confirmed. That was a confirmed trade offer. Oh yeah. And the Sonics turned it down. Oh, (laughs) brutal. So a couple, what was it? How many years later? Justice Winslow. They offer the four first round picks to move into the Charlotte spot or the Miami spot, any spot to try to take Winslow. And those picks could have been, you know, Jalen Brown, Mark, Marcus Smart. Like I I forget, not Marcus Smart. It was the Jalen Brown pick definitely would have been in there. Uh, but it would have been four first. So Danny's had a couple close calls with like draft disasters. And I think this would have been one of them. They had a brain doctor back then who, who really liked Robert Swift's makeup, which is hilarious. Cause Robert Swift had one of the, one of the all time falls from grace of, of any top 15 pick. Like he, you know, really had some really bad stuff happen to him. So I don't know what the brain doctor was looking at. Um, to our credit, we were, suspicious of Robert Swift in the moment. I wrote in the draft diary, looks like a cross between Fred Weiss and Eric Montross. Um, and then said, anytime someone is avoiding workouts, all-star games, even interviews, this is ever a good sign. Now he gets to be tutored by the likes of Jerome James, Vitaly Patapico and Cal Booth. Can somebody have downside, not upside. So we were all over that one house. I feel good yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, so then Telfair goes 13th. That was another one. So in the diary I wrote, here's a doozy. Portland takes Sebastian Telfair and his 100-person entourage at number 13. Unbelievable. Horrendous pick. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> so we nailed that one. Utah takes Chris Humphreys 14. And then Jefferson falls to the Celts 15. Kirk Snyder 16. And then Josh Smith uh, goes 17. We're going to talk about him later in the redraft. But Man, what a weird draft. And then you go a little bit later, all of a sudden there's this light, nice little stretch after your guy Crappa gets take, takes 22 and Monia 23. Your boy Delonte goes 24. And that was like your your buddy had coached him in high school. You were all in on him. He's a DMV yeah. guy. Yeah. And we loved him in college. That was the St. Joseph's team with him and Jameer Nelson. Yes. Kevin Martin. I'm sorry. Tony Allen goes 25th. Kevin Martin goes... 26th and Sasha Vujacic goes 27th and a couple other good ones. Verja went 30 and that's really it. Wasn't, wasn't really good after that. Distract. No, the sec- Chris Duhon, 30. Name. Chris Duhon, 38. Who? 
Ariza. Oh, Ariza. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ariza fell to 43, which seemed dumb at the time. Yeah. So that's it. Um, do you feel bad about getting the Howard Okafer thing wrong? Because I don't. No, I don't feel bad about it either. I mean, th- this is uh, what what the overwhelming body of evidence of this draft confirms is be suspicious of the high school players. Most of the time, it will not work out. There, the, the, uh, the, the success stories are very small compared to the, the, the disappointments. And this draft proves it beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, and, and it really does confirm how important, you know, you're on the ground, observational, whatever the scouting, uh, you know, capacity that you have at this moment. Just, just think about the discussion we had with that Danny Ainge and Robert Swift, the Celtics, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, and Ainge have what we all regard as a, a top-notch institutional, you know, stability, solidity, good eye for talent, you know, and, and it's been borne out over the years, but, but look at that. We were, he was right on the cusp of a colossal fuck up because that's what Robert Swift, when you look, when you punch, click on his name, I mean, and you know, all due respect to the things that he he confronted in his life, but uh, you know, as a as an NBA well, that was PC prospect, of you. <laughs> well, look, I you know, I, I <laughs> well, I, we if all you're have just our talking tr- about draft profiling. He had red hair, and he was yes. a, a big center with red hair, and we were like, that's not going to work. Everybody's going to try to dunk on this guy. We should seriously do a, a top five. Let's do the the all time top five ginger list. I mean, seriously, there there's. It's it's I can't do it off the top of my head, but Cat, well, Callens was a top thirty-five player of all time. Red hair. Okay, I think so, he's our best case scenario. That's right. Yeah, there hasn't Scalabrini's up there. There hasn't been a lot of them. The other thing we were worried about, um, Dwight Howard, even before this draft, he's eighteen. You know, the high school thing had been so hit or miss, and then before the draft, they interviewed him and he said, "quote." I went from an 84 crown Victoria that only goes up to 84 miles an hour to a new BMW that goes up to 160. And we were dying. We were like, oh my God, we're letting her change the pick. Well, this, <laughs> this is, seems like this a disaster. Also, this is in the category of things that we talked about that didn't make it into your diary because they weren't <laughs> acceptable even back then. We made the same analogy to, because there was a lot of discussion about his Christian upbringing. And, you know, the, the sort of closed off kind of life, the closed off existence he had, there were a lot of jokes we made in that Ritz Carlton about, uh, uh, Dwight being unleashed on, on the female population, the NBA groupie population. And guess what? They turned out not to be jokes. (laughs) Well, He, he was unleashed. He threw, he threw his dick around like a salami. Um, so Josh Smith was, was the other one where just talking about some of the comedy stuff in this draft. And there was, there was a lot of comedy. Um, the clips trading backwards from two to four and just getting a second round pick out of it was hilarious in the moment. Um, you were excited. Here's what I wrote in the draft diary. I'm excited because my beloved Celtics have three first rounders house is excited for Pavel Podkolzin, whom he describes as quote, a cross between George Mirasan and screech. My dad's excited because he just threw down apple martinis at the Ritz bar. And Jacko is excited for two things, the number of bad suits and the number of mothers who weigh over 300 pounds. So everyone's pumped. We, we really had our A game on. Uh, from a comedy standpoint, 
Billis graded intangibles from one to five. And Jack O was confused. He said, how do you rank intangibles from one to five? Intangibles are the great unknown, and yet he ranks them. See, clairvoyant. <laughs> it's a great call. How do you rank intangibles? I don't know. It's it's. Uh, we, we should ask. You should get Billis on. Elgin raved about Sean Livington's potential to Jim Gray, saying, quote, it might take a season. It might take half a season. It might take a year. And then I wrote after, or it could even take 12 months. Elgin just in epic form. And then uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, and uh, and Billis ripped the Josh Smith pick to shreds during a time when I think I think you might have been able to hear at the draft when the guys were talking about the pick. I can't remember. Oh. But Billis said, quote, if you had to pick which guy was most likely to be a bust in the first round, it would be this guy. He has no right hand and he can't shoot. <laughs> Jay Brutal. Billis. Somebody, he slept on the wrong, came, woke up on the wrong side of the bed for this Brutal. draft. So when we talk about um, every draft, we try to figure out super duper star, all-timer, franchise guy, all-star, quality starter, five-star being a superstar, super duper star, quality starter being a one-star guy. Dwight ends up, would you say he was a four-star all-timer or a three-star franchise guy? Because I, I give him it four feels stars. Like, a fran- like, is he like a three and a half? Yeah, okay. That, I like that. He's a three and a half. He's he's straddling. Because I don't think he's an all-timer because he didn't go down as one of the best 50 players ever. But he did win Defensive Player of the Year for three consecutive years, and he did lead that franchise to the finals. Like, the thing, when you're looking at a number one draft pick, you know, the, the, the first metric is, can this player lead us to the finals? And Dwight is a yes, and he did it in five years. I mean, that's a very reasonable period of time for, for a number one draft pick to take his franchise, you know, to the finals. And, and it's not like Orlando was good when, when they drafted him. I'm giving him a three and a half. Three and a half is fair. Other than that, there's no two-star um, guaranteed all-star guys in this draft. I think Iggy was a one and a half. Dang's just a one. Jefferson's a one. Kevin Martin's a one. And then other than, and, you know, honestly, Josh Smith was a borderline one. There, there was a moment in time there for a couple of years when people thought he was a top 25 guy, even though now that we know more about advanced metrics, we'll go into that with him. And then Okafor, I think, conceivably could have been an all-star if he stayed healthy. He was right, right on the fringe. So let's do, uh, let's do the redraftables. Let's redraft the 2004 draft. So the order at the time was Orlando, Charlotte, Chicago, Clippers, Washington traded to, to Dallas, Atlanta, Phoenix, Toronto, Philly, Cleveland was our top 10. I'll give you the first pick. Okay. I mean, it's Dwight. It's it's easy. We uh, in this very podcast channel um, took did a, a full evaluation of his whole career. We left wanting more out of him, and yet for a period of time, he was the dominant center in the game. He was the dominant center of of his era. And if something had clicked differently in terms of really it's psychologically. He he could have been uh, because he had all the physical tools. He could he could have been you know a, a top fifty guy. I think. I agree. So we we just talked about how he was a three and a half. 
He wasn't quite an all-timer, but he was a franchise guy, but he was a little better than being a franchise guy. I think one of the interesting subplots with his career is how unfun it was to have him as your franchise guy. I think Yao's another one where Yao is awesome guy, but if you had to watch Yao for eight months a year, it just, just wasn't that fun. You know, it's like so much more fun to have a franchise guy. Even when you had Gilbert Arenas for three years, I guarantee that was way more fun than 15 years of, of Yao Ming. Not that he played 15 years. That was fun. Gilbert Dwight, was fun. Dwight is in such a weird spot. The Orlando fans have such a conflicted relationship with him. And we covered all that in our pyramid pot. So there's not a lot to add, but I, I think he's clearly the number one. And I, I think only a few times over the last 20 years has the first guy in the draft actually turned out to be the best guy in the draft. Right. You had it with Anthony Davis. Uh, you had it with LeBron, obviously. But if you went through it, it it's Tim happened Duncan. less than Tim Duncan, but that's going into the 90s. If you're yeah. just going for for this these last 20 years, it's pretty uh pretty rare. Okay, so I'm on the clock at number two, picking eight. First of all, if I'm on the clock for the Clippers, I'm telling them not to trade backwards. <laughs> Don't do that. Stay put. Bad idea. That this extra second round pick and the salary dump's not worth it. One of the reasons they did the salary dump, by the way, I forgot to mention this. They thought they had a chance at Kobe. Oh, interesting. So they did that. And you know what? And and I think you uh I don't recall where um we discussed it. They did have a shot at Kobe. It came They out. did. Well they he, did. he might have been he might have been cockteasing them a little bit. Sure. To to drum up some Lakers interest. But so they did this where they traded back to dump a contract. And then I think they did one other thing where they dumped another contract with us with that second round pick to try to even clear more cap space. And then as it turned out last second, he didn't come there. Um, Cause I remember that year, that was the first year I had Clippers season tickets. All the Clippers people were all pissed off about it. Mm. So like he was coming here. We had the whole thing. We we're setting up for it. And then boom, didn't happen. <laughs> so who knows how serious he was about coming there, but that was one of the reasons they traded backwards. So I'm taking Iguodala here. Really fascinating career. Um, I, I remembered the Philly years of his career being better offensively than they were. He really was, was he never even averaged 20 points a game. Right. I think I remember writing about him at the time, always felt feeling like he was miscast. Like Hmm. he, he couldn't be the Paul Pierce number one scorer on a best team. What he was, was like a Pippen type. And I think eventually they kind of realized that you look at the 2012 season for him. Um, he goes, so he, he averages 19.9 in the 08 season, which they don't do very well. Um, and from, from 07 through 10, he's basically averaging about 18 points a game. He's like 45% shooter, couldn't shoot threes. And then as their team gets better and you remember they make the 2012 run, Doug Collins is the coach. He's kind of mer- he's kind of morphing into what he would become. He's only t- 2012, 12 points a game, six rebounds a game, five and a half assists, 1.7 steals. Uh, he shoots 39% from three that year. He's only taking three a game. And that's the t- that's the Philly team that had Lou Williams on it, um, Spencer Hawes. It, it was a fun team. They took the Celts to seven. Yeah. Um, who else was on that team? Now I gotta look it up. 
but that that's when he started emerging to I think what we all thought he would eventually become. Then that year, that was the lockout season. Oh, Drew Holiday's on that team. Elton post Achilles, Elton Brand, Evan Turner. They're still trying to figure out what he is. So the team had a lot of talent. They end up throwing him into that complicated Dwight Howard trade that where they end up getting Andrew Bynum that summer. He goes to Denver for one year. Ends up, they lose to Golden State. Then signs with Golden State the year after. Golden State, remember they did the trade with, with uh, B. Adrians. They added some first-round picks to it. Tried to create some calorie space. They make this big move for Iggy. And then he just completely reinvents himself on the uh, on the Golden State teams. He becomes what we know him as. Is he a Hall of Famer to you, House? You know, we've had this conversation. We had it in the context of, you know, trying to properly um, establish the historical mark for Golden State. I think he is a Hall of Famer because of the vital role, the vital contribution that he made to Golden State. I think the Golden State part of his career is the part of it that that takes him. I mean, part of the thing, and we have to say it every time we talk about the NBA Hall of Fame, the bar is very low. Right. For what he did, I think his, his addition to that team and his contribution to that team, doing all the dirty work stuff, it was a great um, finals MVP moment um, for the league that he won that by really just doing all the dirty stuff, being the guy that that was was willing to do whatever it took to win, and and I think you know, in view of the the legacy of that Warriors team and what he meant to it, I I'm fine with him being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So in the following year, they beat OKC to get to the finals, the 73 win season, and they come back and uh. And they they end up uh, OKC's up three one in that series. They come back and win. He does a really good job on Durant those last three games. So it, so in his Golden State version of his peak, he was the best guy in the league other than Kawhi to guard LeBron and Durant, the two guys you had to shut down. I think for, as a perimeter defender, it's funny. I always had Pippen and Kawhi on their own plane. And that's it. And then after that, we'll discuss other people. Steve Kerr feels really strongly that Iguodala was as good as those guys. Oh, wow. And I think he even said that on a pod once. He feels like it's a three-person group, not a not a two-person group. And that all the stuff uh, Dre could do on defense and the athleticism and how unselfish he was and what an awesome teammate he was. He just feels like he should be discussed with those guys. He wasn't the same offensive player that Pippen was. Golden State didn't really need him to be the offensive player that Pippen was. but I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, and I, I think Robert Horry should be in the Hall of Fame too. I think both of those guys should be. I think playoff performance matters. Uh, knowing your role, being an unselfish teammate, coming through over and over again in big moments. You look just look at 15, 16, and 17. Um, and then 18 too, LeBron. You know, he's Iggy's a little bit older at that point, but he's going against LeBron when LeBron was just remember the brute force of LeBron in the 18 playoffs, and sure. he was kind of unstoppable. Uh, I think all this stuff matters to me. He's all famer. I'll be interested to see if he gets in, but I'll tell you this. If you're, if you're picking second in NBA draft and this is the guy you end up with, that's a pretty awesome pick, you know, for a guy that, you know, there are a couple stats, um, you know, looking at, at this, there was a, uh, from 2006, 2007 up through 2012, 2013, he averaged at least 
five rebounds and five assists six different times in that era. There was only yeah. one other player who did it more times. That was LeBron. From 2004, 2005 up to 2013, 14, he trailed only one other player in that entire uh, um, time period in terms of overall steals. That was Chris Paul. Like that—that's the the part of this we had like translating Iggy's impact on the game. He was in the upper echelon of you know f- filling up the bucket with a lot of different winning attributes. And the Golden State experience showed us how all that translates into meaningful winning impact. So, you know, I'm I'm good with it. I'm good with Iggy. And I think the funny thing about this draft, I was prepared to um, ask you why you kept inviting me on these terrible, shitty drafts, the crappier drafts. But um, looking at this draft, there are a lot of third bananas, a lot of guys that were that were important to, to, you know, they found themselves in situations and made an impact as third bananas, not a lot of top bananas in this draft. I don't mind this draft. I, I I'm actually I okay with it. I I think it's pretty good. And I, I, you know, if Iggy ends up being the second guy in the draft, obviously that's not going to compare to Oh three or 98 or some of the ones we've done, but you know, he was a guy that I look at the advanced metrics for him basically from his, his first golden season, state season on his PR just sucks. It's like 14 or lower every year. He was never, a guy for the traditional basketball card stats way with fantasy guy, all that stuff. It was always the intangibles and just what an awesome defensive player he was. Right. He really was really spectacular. So I like that as a, I think he's a strong second pick who you taking third. I'm going to go with Luol Deng. Um, the, the combination of his uh, ability to be on the basketball court, all the minutes that he played, he 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 played all of all 82 games like in five, in the first 6 seasons like 5 out of the 6 seasons something like that something crazy in 2006-7 uh he averaged nearly 19.7 rebounds 2 and a half assists 1.2 steals then that was all without him at that point of his career without a three point shot uh and then he came on with a three pointer later really extended his his career that way was a meaningful impactful player for a great chunk of his career. I have no um, regrets about taking him third in this draft. Yeah, it's funny. All of a sudden he was washed up because he had a nice little comeback season with Miami in 2016. They made the playoffs and then he was a free agent that year. And that happened to be the year the cap like spiked and the Lakers signed him for like 70 million. I remember liking the deal for the Lakers. Cause I was like, Luel Dang's still good. That guy, you know, he, he was a three and D guy when everybody needed a three and D guy. And it seemed like he had a lot left in the tank. He went to the Lakers and his career just is it's over. It's done. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense when you look at his basketball reference where it's like the guy plays 902 games but he plays almost 31,000 minutes. He averages 34 minutes a game for his career. And he led the league in minutes in 2012 and 13, almost played 40 minutes a game a couple of times. The first part of his career, it's pre-load management. They also, they had some medical staff stuff with him where, uh, remember they had that spinal tap that got screwed up and really fucked him up. And that's um, right. There was some real like medical malpractice with him. 
And uh, and then he got thrown into. I remember being on um, Countdown when they did that Lou Aldang salary dump trade. When they they basically got Bynum's expiring contract that they could waive. They were still a playoff team at that point, and they just kind of dumped them to save money. And I, I went on countdown and I killed the bulls and poor Doug Collins almost had a heart attack because he had so many <laughs> Chicago ties. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. They're in the, they're in the third biggest market in the league. They're trying to, to, to save pennies and cut corners. And it's like, if I'm a bulls fan, I would just be enraged. Like you still have a chance to make a dent in the playoffs. It's not the second team in the East is not you know, not set in stone. Like, why would you just give up on the season? Doug, like all the, all the blood drained from his body. <laughs> he was so bummed out. Um, but you know, I, I, I really thought he had a good career. He doesn't have kind of a defining moment. Right. Like if you're like, Hey, give me your three greatest Luol Dang moments. I'm not sure I could come up with three. The 09 playoffs was really fun against the Celtics. I think that was one of the best first round series of, of, uh, of all time. I remember probably their greatest win was when they stopped the bulls 27 game win streak. Right. Remember that stopped the, the, I mean, uh, Miami. Yeah. The heat. Remember that? Yes. Right. It was a great game too. I, that's a game that game should that should be a hardwood classics game. You need to do look. one of those. You should put that up on the Twitter. I'm going to look up when that happened. Keep, keep talking about Luol Dang while I look this up. Well, he he ended up among the 2004 draft class. He ended up fourth in career minutes and fourth in points out of this class. And he was third uh, in, in his class in, in, in win shares, the advanced met, so, uh, metric. So, I, you know, there, there's, there are other um, talents. We'll go through here, but like nice, steady, solid guy that you can count on. Fine third banana. So they beat they beat Miami March 27, 2013. Maybe the best regular season game of this of this decade, other than that OKC game when Steph hits the 35 footer to beat OKC. Uh Luol Dang, 44 minutes, 28 points, seven rebounds, five assists going against LeBron. LeBron had 32, uh, also playing big minutes for that Bulls team. Jimmy Butler, 43 minutes. Carlos Boozer with a 21-17. Yep. And then uh, Nazi Muhammad's in there. This It's kind of a weird Bulls. <laughs> Nate Robinson was 6 for 10 off the bench. But uh, but maybe that was Luol Deng's greatest moment. I don't know. I enjoyed him. I I. I would like I like the alternate universe where the Suns just keep that pick at seven. Wow. They don't sign Quentin Richardson and he's just there in the Suns playing seven seconds or less. I think that's a way more fun version of his career. So too bad for him. Okay. I'm on the clock with the fourth pick. It's funny. I did a preliminary list and I had Josh Smith at the fourth pick. And then I started thinking about it <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. I couldn't stand watching Josh Smith and the guy never won anything. What am I doing? So I audibled out of it and did really deep dive this. I'm taking Al Jefferson. Sure. I get it. Way better career than I think people remember. And I think people remember that KG trade with the Celtics as like they, they, you know, they just gave away KG. Not true at all. They got a, a, 
bunch of number one picks in that trade or guys had been picked in the first round. And Jefferson was a real prize. He was 22 years old from 2008 to 2014. He averaged a 20 and 10, 50% field goal. 2014 Joe House, all NBA third team on Charlotte, eighth in the MVP voting. Um, Never won a playoff series. Just horrendous luck with, Bad with luck. where the teams he landed. Also involved in one of my favorite underrated, terrible David Kahn trades. Summer of 2010, he trades Al Jefferson to Utah for Costa Kufis, a non-lottery 2011 pick that turned out to be Donata, Donatus Matahunas, and a non-lottery pick in 2012, which turned out to be Terrence Jones. House, I think we have officially identified the poo-poo platter. <laughs> <laughs> Al Jefferson for Costa Kufis and two picks that led out to be Monte Yunus and uh and Terrence Jones. So the thing with Jefferson that that and and I've I feel I, I'm really attached to this one because I watched a lot of Celtic games in those mid-2000s and really was just waiting and waiting for him to make the leap. He gets hurt in year two, right as right as it feels like it's gonna happen. I forget if it was like a sprained knee or a sprained ankle. It's some sort of leg injury. And it really set him back. It was like right when he was starting to really show potential and he gets hurt. Then that 07 team, they're tanking for Tim Duncan. That, that's like a throwaway season. But he still averages 16 and 11 in a tanking season in year three. And yeah, at that point, he's 21 years old and had some like Mikhail low post, like, you know, he had drop steps, he had jump yeah. hooks, he had jump hooks with either either side. The old man low post game. Old Loved school. It. Loved yeah. it. Goes to Minnesota. They've just gutted their team in the KG trade. So now he's on another terrible team. Puts up a 21 or 11 for them that year. Um, we go into the 08-09 season. Now he's got Kevin Love as a rookie on his team. He's playing great. He's 23 and 11. 50% shooting. At that point, he is... He's born in 1985. He's 24 years old. Putting up a 23 and 11... Blows out his knee. It's a bummer. Then here's the other thing. If they'd just taken Steph Curry instead of Johnny Flynn, now he's on a team with Steph Curry and um, and Kevin Love and Al Jefferson. It becomes quickly clear that maybe you don't want to play Al Jefferson and Kevin Love on the same team. So in 2010, they kind of panic after he's coming off the ACL and they deal him to Utah. And he puts up he from... The next four or five seasons, he's really good. Ends up getting traded to sh or signs with Charlotte as a free agent, makes third team All NBA. But uh, I thought he had a really good career, and I and I really honestly strongly feel like if you play his career twenty times, I think this might be one of the worst versions of it. There's a whole other scenario where he ends up. Not, he never gets hurt early. He never blows out his knee. Um, he ends up on a team that uses him better, and I just liked him. What do you think of him? Um, incredible value at 15. Um, yeah. And as much as we just, you know, expressed skepticism and, and gave Ainge and the Celtics scouting department, you know, um, a, a get out of jail free card with the Robert Smith misanalysis, having Al Jefferson as their backup. And, and, you know, I would say looking at this draft in its totality, Boston did awesome with all three of their picks. I mean, they, right. they, Boston won this draft in terms of, you know, 
filling needs and and getting meaningful uh, NBA players who went on to to you know make great contributions um, for, for other teams with Tony Allen and Delonte. But you know Delonte was important to Boston for a little bit also. Um, well, he also was somebody that they were able to throw in the Ray Allen trade, right? Which, sure. So he he ended up. If you look at how they built the big three, a lot of it happens because of this draft. And, the, you know, they went three for three with picks, which usually doesn't happen in the NBA yeah, draft. But and, and big at, at the 15. same time, they almost, they almost took Bob Swift. <laughs> it's, it's, it's better to be lucky than good. That's what that means. Yeah, I feel bad. Now, I don't feel too bad for Al because he had a good career. I mean, he made an all-NBA team. And how much money did he make? Let's see. He made $137 million. Al's fine. Pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Okay. Uh, so that pick would have been for the Clippers in a redraft. And so he w- all the bad things would have happened to him again if he ended up on the Clippers. You're up at number five. So I, I am going to take Josh Smith. Um, I, I think, you know, it's it's funny looking back. This is one of those situations where I'm prepared to be kinder now than I would have been while he was playing. Because while he was playing... I, you can't get out of your head. You can't take out of your eyes how terrible a three-point shooter he was and how insistent he was at shooting the three. He really beat Russell Westbrook to the punch in terms of being a, a prolific three-point attempter and a prolific three-point misser. He just loved to miss three-pointers. But there, this this stat that, that I uh, encountered in the research... Uh, Shout out to to the Bleacher Report, folks. This is incredible. He is the only player in NBA history to have an average across five categories of over 14 points, over seven rebounds, over three assists, 1.9 blocks, and 1.2 steals. He played 13 seasons. If you took out the steals, Tim Duncan and Kareem would join him in the, on this list. Those are pretty good names. That's pretty good company for uh, uh, Josh Smith. And the thing that I do remember about him was how fast he was off his feet. He was a great, great shot blocker. He had four seasons with at least two blocks a game, tied for fourth most in NBA history by a player 6'9 or shorter. So... Like a lot of stuff, like, you know, eye opening stuff, you just couldn't put it all together. Um, and so the, the, you asked, we, we, we had the, the, the fun breakdown of Luol Dang's most impactful game. Obviously, for Josh Smith, his most impactful game was that fourth quarter against the Clippers in the playoffs, right? Josh Smith, I had seventh, or I had, my, I had him eighth on my board. Okay. Uh, from 2009 to 2013, 17 and 9, 3.2 stocks, blocks plus steals. Yeah. Uh, 73 playoff games he played in, 15 and 7, 43% shooting, 63% from the line. <laughs> when you look at it that way, it's, and I don't think we fully realized it at the time. I think we realize it now, especially as we can understand advanced metrics better. He's just not a winning basketball player. If you have a guy who can't really control the boards for you, but he has to play the four or the five and he can't shoot, but the best thing he can do is like how he, how he protects the rim. 
but more as like a blind side, uh, weak side blocker kind of guy. Not, he wasn't like Bill Russell, but he was good at like, he was great at coming out of nowhere and blocking right. stuff, things like That's that. Right. Um, I just don't know how you actually win with somebody like that would be my question. Well, and, and it's, it was proven out. I mean, you know, the, it was proven the, out cause they never, they never <laughs> won anything with him. Right. The turnovers and the, and the missed threes, you know, you average two and a half turnovers. It's funny because I remember in the oh, so the 08 Hawks who gave the Celtics everything they could handle in a seven-game series, remember? And it, that was one of those things where it's like, oh, my God, are the Celtics going to choke in this series? Right. And my memory is of Joe Johnson, Horford, and then the athleticism of Josh Smith. And I, I just had this memory of Josh Smith being good in that series. And then you look up the stats. He was 16 and 6. He shot 40% for the field. And he he... He was three for 18 for the three point line. Um, I, it's just not, not a winning player. I, there were guys that I liked more than him. Also like, can we gloss over the part where Detroit signs him? And within like two years, Stan Van Gundy's just buying him out whole, just like, please, I'll carry your dead money. Please leave. <laughs> I, it's part of his legacy. Quite a legacy. I still feel like if he was the 17th pick, that's pretty good for the 17th pick. Absolutely. I had him ranked eighth. You had him ranked fifth. Right. Uh, one other thing with him, part of the Rashid Wallace trade. Oh, okay. Yeah. Me meaningful. Uh, he, the 04, when uh, Sharif, he ends up on Atlanta and Rashid's like, I'm not playing in Atlanta and they have to do, they have to scramble. They get multiple teams involved. The Celtics get involved. That's how the Celtics got Tony Allen. And then that's how Atlanta ended up getting Josh Smith. So they rented no, wait, Rashid. That's how the Celtics got. She, Tony Allen was drafted by that, the Celtics. Right. You, that's how they got the pick. the pick to draft him. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. They took Chucky Atkins's salary, which I was mad about at the time to get this 25th pick turned out to be Tony Allen. Atlanta's just like, all right, sure. We'll, we'll flip Rashid who we've had for three days. If you give us your first and all of a sudden they had that. So there you go. I had on fifth on my board. I'm delighted to get him at six. Kevin Martin. Okay. From 07 to 11, 22.4 points a game. Percentages were 44, 39, 87. For his career, 17.4 points a game, 38% three-point shooter. And I think somebody that, uh, as the league evolved, made more and more sense as it went. You know, I think because he's in the hard and trade, because they felt like he could fill a lot of the offense that they lost when Harden was in there. And then he just wasn't a good fit and didn't, didn't do great in that playoffs. And then his career goes downhill after that. I think people forget that he was actually pretty good for a while. I mean, he, he was a guy that year after year was putting up 22 points. Yeah. He's, he's, he's one dimensional. He's a pure scorer. He's right. the only player in this draft with a 50 point game. Yeah. And, and that, that, you know, that really to me said, tells the whole Kevin Martin story. I mean, he, he was a prolific scorer with the percentages that you just talked about, you know, but that was his single impact on the game. You, you like him as a third banana, fourth banana kind of guy. And that's it. In 2013 playoffs plays 11 games for the thunder, 14 points a game, 37% from three. So on paper looks great. I just remember in the playoffs feeling like they can't hide him on defense. I don't trust him. 
I don't think he's ready for this. And if you look at, it, he only played in three playoffs in his entire career. He did make uh he did make some money though. House, say eighty three million dollars. <laughs> uh, Great, and was in involved in some goofy trades. He was involved in the that crazy Houston, Sacramento, New York, that whole trade in two thousand ten, where T Mac ended up going to the Knicks. He was involved in the Chris Paul trade that uh, that never happened. Right, basketball reasons. In 2012, he's involved in the Harden trade. And then in 2013, was involved in another three teams. Every trade he was in, there's at least three teams in. He's one of those people, he always had value, but the team that had him always seemed pretty happy to trade him. So I, I don't know what that means, but I'm taking him sixth. Who do you have at number seven? I'm going to go with Trevor Ariza here. Um, the body I had of him work. sixth. Yeah. The, the 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 entire uh, body of work over the career. I honestly gave consideration to putting him into that five slot um, instead of of Josh Smith. Um, but just the the reason I I have Smith is because Smith was a five tool guy and was so impactful uh, on on um, with with the blocks. But Trevor, you know the thing that that's funny. Who who do you have as your like the art? The, the original three and D guy. Cause this, I would say, you know, Ariza's in on that list. Like who, who was the first three and D guy as that became a thing in the league as the league, you know, sort of pointed in that direction. Well, so this was that time late two thousands is when we really started talking about three and D guys in a real way. Cause that's when, uh, James Posey on the Celtics is it just that it, all of a sudden it became, Oh, we should try to find these guys. But if you go backwards, I think Michael Cooper. Oh, sure. Okay. He's probably the first three and D guy. Cause he actually had three point range, but, and played defense. And those were the two things he did. Yeah. So I, I would say he was the, uh, the 1.0 three point three and D guy. And then, uh, eventually it evolves, but yeah, Riza 2009 in the finals, 48% from three. And right. we did, we did one of those games for the, uh, on the book of basketball pod as a, like a pseudo rewatchables Oh nine game, uh, four. And he's out there in crunch time. He was a great wingman for Kobe, everything you would want from the three spot. And, uh, and was just really valuable for them. And then ended up leaving. They didn't have the cap space to keep him, but has had a good career. You had him on the whiz. You had him twice on the whiz. The first time he was good on the whiz. He was good. In fact, the whiz speaking of cap space decisions, um, came off of a, a playoff series. Uh, I can't recall the year now where they had to make a decision between Marcin Gortat and, uh, Ariza. They couldn't keep both. They, they alleged. Uh, and so they, they kept Gortat and let Ariza go, but Ariza was, was, uh, very meaningful and, and impactful for, uh, you know, a little playoff stretch run that the Wiz went on. And, and, you know, he, he played the role perfectly that three and D role, um, for the Wiz. The second trade was horrendous. And really the second trade was the thing that, uh, ultimately may serve the franchise well, because it's the trade that led, I think most directly to Grunfeld finally getting fired. Which right. was, you know, uh, uh, it only Phoenix. took 15 years. Yeah. Cause for, they gave up Kelly Oubre and brought back Trevor Ariza on the idea that it was, you know, they should try and make the playoffs, uh, a couple years ago when they had no chance whatsoever. 
one thing with him, the smart teams always targeted him. The Rockets signed him in 2009 and then went back, but went back for seconds in 2014, which I always thought was funny. I remember talking to Daryl about that because Ariza, they signed him five years in 09. They traded him a year later and then they go get him back. It's like, Daryl, what was that like? With, like did Ariza forgive you? Oh, I don't, don't know if he's totally happy we traded him, but <laughs> speaking of trades, got to do this for the audience. Oh, Trevor Ariza, it's a trade. It's a trade bonanza for him. So it starts, he's traded by the New York Knicks with Penny Hardaway's expiring contract in February 2006 for Steve Francis. A trade that at the time was reprehensible <laughs> because they were putting Steve Francis and Stefan Barber together with Larry, Bur Larry Brown as a coach. The irony of it is we'd already seen them as the backcourt of the 04 Olympic team that everyone hated watching and led to... Um, us completely remodeling the Olympic team system. So good move by Isaiah Thomas there. 07 gets traded to the Lakers for Brian Cook and Mo Evans, which was a hijacking. <laughs> this was in 07, the NBA just decides we need to get Kobe better players. We're telling Orlando to give <laughs> to give Trevor Reese to the Lakers. We're telling Memphis to give Pal Gasol to the Lakers. So you, and we're the Lakers just going to try to get this going. Mad at you. Lakers fans hate Those you. Those two trades are terrible. They got Trevor Ariza and Pal Gasol for nothing. Pal Gasol, and, and, I'll never, I'll never forgive. I'll never forgive. And then it's like, well, we got Mark Gasol. It's like Mark Gasol was 370 pounds when that <laughs> trade got made. There's no, no, it was like getting Oliver Miller or a tractor trailer. 2010, August, traded by Houston to New Orleans. New Orleans trades Darren Collison and James Posey to Indiana. Indiana trades Troy Murphy to New Jersey. And New Jersey trades Courtney Lee to Houston. There's a lot going on in that trade. I think it's funny that Indiana traded a white guy and, and didn't get white guys back. That might be the <laughs> only time that ever happened. But I think uh, New Orleans cl clearly wins that trade. They, they, uh, I mean, uh, not, I mean, Indiana wins that trade. They trade Troy Murphy for Collison and Posey, which I think pretty good. Um, 2012 June traded with Emeka Okafor to Washington for the Richard Lewis contract that you've been dying to get rid of forever in a 2012 second. What a great trade that was. Well, and, and not only Richard Lewis, but a, a great big bag of HGH went, went along with that trade. <laughs> it really worked out great. 2014, another bizarre one traded by Washington back to Houston. Houston trades Omer Ashik, Omri Caspi and cash and a bag of shit to new Orleans. New Orleans trades Alonzo G Scotty Hobson in 2015 first to Houston. It took Sam Decker, a rare, terrible uh, haul for Houston. And then uh, New Orleans traded Melvin Eli to Washington. So, so that, with that trade, that was where Washington couldn't afford. They decided they couldn't afford uh, Trevor. And so they just did the trade, you know, to, to avoid having to pay him. They couldn't pay him the extension. Well, you got M Melvin Eli out of that. So congrats. <laughs> then he's traded by Phoenix to Washington for Kelly Oubre and Austin Rivers. That God. trade is a disaster. God oh damn my it. God. That's it's 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 what a I'm terrible curse. trade. I'm gonna curse. It's fucking unforgivable. I mean well, it's, it's it's he got it's, fired. It's a goddamn confession. After 15 years of of malpractice, one last goddamn cherry on the top motherfucking malpractice. I'm sorry for all the F-bombs. Get signed by Sacramento as a free agent. They decide that didn't work out. They trade him to Portland for Kent Bazemore, Anthony Tolliver, and a couple seconds, which was a, 
a semi-salary dump for Sacramento because they're getting expirings back. Portland's trying to get somebody who's better. So he's been on nine teams. Just a, an incredible run for him. All right. Uh, with the eighth pick, I'm taking the guy who was seventh on my board, Emeka Okafer. First seven years, 13 and 10. Maybe if you do your career over again, I could find a better back surgeon for him. And I, I just like the value I'm getting there. Who are you taking nine? Jameer. Jameer Nelson. Oh. Uh, you, you, you remember that Jameer made an all-star team? Not a lot yeah. of guys that made all-star teams uh, on, on this list. Um, but, you know, he was uh, the point guard on a team that went to the finals. He and Dwight together, you know, took that Orlando franchise to the, to the finals within five years of, of getting drafted. Meaningful career, top 10 talent out of this draft. I, I don't have any issue with it. His problem is he, he couldn't really shoot. He wasn't a great shooter. That's the problem with Jameer Nelson. He was, he was just one of those guys, though. Yeah. There was a million reasons to talk yourself out of him, but he was a guy that in big games was really comfortable. And I think if he doesn't get hurt in 09, that series might be different too because he's coming back. He's playing with one shoulder basically, and he's just right. not the same guy. We're in the stretch of a draft right now where uh, it's all role players. You got Tony Allen, Anderson Verjao, Jabir Nelson, Ben Gordon as a six-man heat check, J.R. Smith, Devin Harris, B. Adrians, little Josh Childress, uh, on and on and on. I am taking Tony Allen with the 10th pick. Okay. Um, dumb, dumb the injury right as his career was, was starting to take off as a role guy where he dunked after the whistle, hung on the rim, came down, and blew out his ACL. The single dumbest ACL injury probably <laughs> the last 20 years. Um, didn't really play on the 08 Celtics. They, he just couldn't shoot, so they couldn't put him out there. But um, had a better run with them in 09 and 2010, um, but really didn't take off till Memphis. And in Memphis, his career falls into place. Three first-team all-defenses, three second-team all-defenses, was probably the best defensive guard of about a seven, eight year stretch there where it, was, where it was like, if you could put one guard on Chris Paul, Kobe Bryant, um, pick anybody, anybody under six foot six. And then honestly could probably have at least made Carmelo and, uh, guys like that work. I think LeBron was probably the cutoff cause he's wasn't, uh, wasn't strong enough to guard guys like that, but it was just an awesome Grizzly and the Grizzlies. They beat the Spurs in 2011, uh, uh, which was a real upset. But when you look at the Spurs from 11 to 14, it's a real blip because that team for four years was great. And he, uh, and they beat him. His single biggest contribution was helping that team achieve an identity. He really yeah. established an identity for that team. He was a, a force of will guy, right? He just through his work ethic and, and a, a rare instance of a defensive player uh, inspiring his team to, to a level of play. You don't see it very often. And, you know, the, the stretch of, of time that he was in Memphis, you know, teams were able to play four on five against him defensively, right? Because he just could not do anything offensively. But the, what he did in terms of, of giving that team uh, and that city, really, a basketball identity, Immeasurable, I would say. A really fun foursome. Zach, Marcus, Conley, Tony Allen. Man. And they could never find that 
fifth shooter. They tried so many different guys in that spot. Yeah. Rudy Gay was in there for a little bit. Tayshaun Prince. They never... I remember that one year Jalen and I did the Western Finals for Countdown, and and we were joking about Jalen just signing with the Grizzlies because he was like, I could make that 24-footer in the corner. <laughs> I could make it now. I could stretch the floor. But uh, I liked him, and and he's a guy that stayed in Memphis and is close with our friend Verno, goes on his radio show all the time, so that's a win. All right, the 11th pick. We got four picks left. I get to take Devin Harris, right? You didn't take him. No. Yeah, I'm taking him. Another guy. You can have who, him. He made the All Star team. You know, we're we're down to the to the point where there aren't a lot of guys left who who actually made an All Star team. Averaged uh, over 21 points and nearly seven assists a game in 2008, 2009, the year he made that All Star team. Amazing. Long career, fast guy. Um, backed up Jason Terry on that uh, 2006 Finals team. That you know he 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 played him an important role on that Dallas uh, finals team, the 2006 team, um, just a long career. He, he found himself needing to come up with a three pointer to be uh, successful in the league. And he, and he kind of did it. Um, he, another... It was too late though. By the time that's right. He did, the speed was there. It was always, always unclear if you could count on him in a big game. I remember really not trusting him in 06 and 07, never feeling great for them. Sure. When he was out there in 07, like he really, he got, uh, really was one of the guys that got worked by that Golden State backcourt. Um, and you know, solid career, talented. So I, I feel like the talent was higher than what the career was, but you know, he did make an all-star team. I can't, I can't, uh, knock that pick. Um, well now it's really slim pickings with these last three. I'm going to take Anderson Vergeau because at the very least, I know that he could play on a really good team in playoff games and not hurt me. <laughs> so we're at that point of this draft. Right. He's, he's one of the guys, he, five guys on the 07 Cavs are playing big minutes and he's one of the five and he's out there and he's, they, you know, credit to him. They beat the Pistons this really nice Pistons run where they're really big. They have the Wallace brothers still, the whole thing. And, uh, and you know, they went toe to toe with those guys with just him and drew Gooden. I, he, I mean, he made an all defensive team. The problem with the only knock is he couldn't stay on the court. I mean, you, you have to play to, to, <laughs> to be really valuable to your team and he just couldn't stay healthy. Um, but you're right. You know, he, he was an important player, uh, for a, a meaningful stretch of those Cleveland teams. Um, you know, at this stage, that's, there's nothing wrong with it, taking Andy at this, this point of the draft. He was also a beloved teammate and, um, somebody that LeBron really liked. And this was when LeBron started to get power there, those last couple Cavs years, and they signed him to a really bad contract. Um, hold on. I'm looking up to make sure. I wanted to make sure the Wallace brothers were the was were both Wallace brothers on that 07 Pistons team. Ben Wallace was gone by then. That was when oh. he had signed with Chicago. Oh, so okay. he's they're still going against Rashid, Chris Weber, Antonio McDice. Those were the big guys that year. And Verjao, you know, is putting up the eight and six, playing 25 minutes a game. Um, but he was one of those guys. 
when you saw him on the court, he was like your classic. Oh man, I love that guy. Great energy. I know what he is. He's playing 20, 25 minutes a game. He doesn't hurt me. He's in the right spots. He finishes good offensive rebounder. And people always left out the part that he couldn't stay on the fucking court. Right. He got hurt all the time. Got and hurt that, all that the was, time. It was, it was always nuts. Like he has seasons, 2011, 31 games, 2012, 25, 2013, 25, 2015, 26, 2016, 31. The Golden State gets him in, in 2016 and 17, barely plays for them either, but is in some playoff games for them. Plays in the 17 team. I'm sorry, the 16 team. He uh, he actually gets some run in game seven against the Cavs. Goes against his old team. So anyway, uh, decent 10th man if you can get him. Who do you have for the 13th pick? I... Do it. I know you want to. Just do it. <laughs> Just I'm do gonna it. Take, take him. Yeah, I am going to take J.R. Smith. I I really wanted to do Sean Livingston because of, you know, what he meant to Golden State. And, you know, the, the, the impact he had as, as a winner, he turned out to be a winner, a winning player, Sean Livingston, but there's just nothing there in terms of, of, you know, career statistics, career contribution. And it's all because of the devastating knee injury. So I feel bad, but it's gotta be Jr. here because, you know, by far leads this entire draft class in threes. It's, it's not even close. I mean, uh, he, 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 he had, you know, 19, 1,929 career threes. He shot 30 over 37% and average double figures in 11 different seasons, you know, very reliable three point shooter also had, you know, uh, was a good leaper back in, in the day. And he was a tough guy to, to, to defend, like a lot of athleticism when he was young, came out of high school. Um, Obviously, we all recall what he did to LeBron um, and the Cavs. But look, you know, he also was was an important player on that 2016 team that that beat Golden State. So, yeah, the case for Jr. is this, and I I I probably should have taken him over Verjao. He played big minutes for good teams, the '09 Nuggets. Lost 4-2 to the Lakers in the 2009 Western Finals. He's playing 27 minutes a game for them. The 2013 Knicks, which were the second best team in the East that year, they lose to Indiana in round two. Uh, but there was a run there where we thought, oh my God, this team, this might be a finals contender. He's playing 32 minutes a game for them that year. The Cavs, all the way through those four years, He's one of their starters. And in 2016, he's out there in crunch time and doing stuff. And right. he played 35 minutes a game in the 2016 playoffs. Um, he also, interesting 2016 playoffs line. He scores 11.5 points a game in 35 minutes, but he takes seven threes a game, 43%. So basically he's, he's averaging one free throw a game. All he's doing is just, he's in the corner. And they're just like, JR, all you're going to do is shoot threes and play defense. Do nothing else. Do nothing. Don't do anything. Don't even think about doing anything. You don't want so, him to think ever. Never think, JR. Yeah, I should have taken him before Verjao. That was stupid. The uh, the other guy, I'm going to take him 14, and then we'll make Sean Livingston an honorary 15th pick. Because, great, great. You know, if you do his career 20 times, I was going to those games early. Sean Livingston had a chance to be great. 
Like, he was, and I, I don't mean good. I think he would have been a six-time All-Star. It's a testament to his athleticism that he had a second career with a, with, with a leg that was not capable of being repaired or restored to what he was before. Think about what kind of athlete you have to be to basically come within, you know, a whisper of losing a leg and to fully come all the way back and have a long run after that. But he was an incredible athlete in the first three years he was in the league. Yeah, he, that 06 Clippers team, which really had a chance to make the finals and really got, really just had a couple of bad breaks in the playoffs. But he, you know, they got, they had gotten Sam Cassell that year. And Livingston became, by the end of that year, it's his second year of his career. He's the third guard. He's the, he's the first guard off the bench. He played 28 minutes a game for that team. And he was putting up seven and a half points, but he was five and five in rebounds and assists and was a really good defensive player. I, I yeah. think the thing that stood out pretty early with him was his passing and his defense. And that's why I thought he had a chance to be special. Sure. You could make a case he went to the wrong team because he goes there and they get Cassell. And it's right when he really just should have been playing. Yeah. You know, and you think about like Dame Lillard goes to Portland. And they're just like, here are the car keys. This is your team now. And and Darren Williams and Chris Paul in New Orleans, things like that. I think Sean Livingston was as good as those guys. I really do. I, I think he wow. would have been just an awesome pro. He was such a good passer and he was so athletic and he was so smart. And you could see by the time he got to uh, Golden State and, and kind of redid his career as a role guy, just the intelligence he had made up for all the stuff he had lost by basically being on one leg. You're right. Was still awesome. So I, the fact that he ended up playing until he played 833 games with that injury that he had is like impossible. He, he, his career should have been over. His knee exploded. That's right. So I feel bad for him. I I think there's an alternate universe where he doesn't get hurt and we do this draft and he's either first or second and probably first. Sure. I I honestly think he would have been in a multiple NBA guy. Uh, I'm going to take Ben Gordon 14th. Okay. You could make a case that he should have gone higher because, you know, his stats for a couple of years there are comparable to the um, Kevin Martin stats. And if anything, the three-point shooting is better. You look at him now, and if you didn't know any better, you would think like, wow, this guy's like the perfect guy for now. You know, he's he's got those last four, really his whole Bulls career. Jesus. Even as a rookie, he was good on the Bulls. His five Bulls seasons, he's 18 and a half a game, 41.5% from three. And he's taken 4.2 free throws a game. Like, we thought this guy was better Vinny Johnson and maybe with a chance to be injured. Tony couldn't really guard anyone. He was only 6'3". He could get exploited on that end, but uh, was just an awesome, awesome guy to have on your team. And in the 09 playoffs against the Celtics, was a problem. We were terrified of him. Goes to Detroit and and his career just spirals. He should have been Kemba Walker. That's that could have been thing. yeah. Like you know he 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 was very good as a shooter, very impactful, negligible defender. But like, why wasn't he Kemba? Was it an opportunity situation? Well, Derrick Rose goes there for the okay. last two last year of his career. But I still feel like they could have played together. You look, so the seven-game series they had against the uh, Celtics in 09, legendary series, some of the two two or three of the best round one games we've had. He plays 43.4 minutes a game in that series. 
24.3 points a game, takes six and a half threes, makes 37% of them, gets to the line eight times a game. And that's why he ended up getting that Pistons contract. And I was fine with it. I thought Ben Gordon was great. I don't know what happened to him. You're basically getting, if you're taking him in the redraft, you know, you're getting five years and then it just, it just completely falls apart. And he had a lot of personal issues. He battled depression. I feel bad for him, but, uh, I'm with you. Like he was offensively. He was a Kemba type talent. I don't think he was the same ball handler that Kemba was, but he was somebody that you could clear out. He's going to get a shot. Yeah. And I, you know, um, we, we're so impressed by what he did for UConn in that run that we we thought, oh, you know, he this that third pick was was a, a very solid, you know, oh, yeah. uh, very Guaranteed well judged pick. pick. And it Absolutely. was. We were right for five years. I yeah. I I wish I knew. Uh, I wish I knew what happened. All right. So if you have, if you had to pick one guy in this draft that you kind of still haven't given up on, who is it? Still haven't given up on. Mine's Livingston. I I am a thousand million percent in on, he would have been great. I think it's such a bummer that it played out the way it did. So I, I still feel an attachment to Livingston. I also, I gotta say, um, I always kind of enjoyed David Harrison on Indiana. Remember him? That center. He's a tough guy. I remember thinking like, ah, that's somebody that I could see that guy in the, in the right situation, but he never made it. I mean, maybe maybe Beadrins. We didn't even put Beadrins in our top fifteen. No, um, but I think he could be super successful in the current iteration of the league. I mean, I, I think right now with the, his running ability and his athleticism, right. Well, another guy like that is Darrell Wright. I think, you know, another three and D guy. Dino Udre. We also didn't get drafted. He had he had some cups of coffee. He was sure. a nice kind of future third guard. Not ideal, but if he's your fourth guard, awesome. And then uh, Vujicic, who, Vujicic, sorry, Zach Lowe. <laughs> Vujicic, um, who was out there on the court in big moments for, for teams that won titles. So he's got to be mentioned too. Chris Duhon had a couple cups of coffee of potentially being somebody. He was around. And, and uh, Josh Childress was interesting enough that he ended up getting a huge contract and then things fell apart pretty quickly. Never, never really figured out what happened there. Did, have you given up on Popeye Sal yet or no? <laughs> I, I gave up on him when he got drafted. Lionel Chalmers. I mean, what about <laughs> Manya? Crappa? Did you give Crappa? up on Crappa yet? Crappa? Manya? Crappa. Pavel. What a draft. Oh, four. What a draft. One of the one of the most unlikable drafts ever. And I'm so frustrated by how it turned out for 12 of these guys. You know what? 2004 draft, great after six Bloody Marys. <laughs> uh, Joe House, a pleasure as always. Good to see you. You as well. Thank you. That's it for the 2004 Redraftables. Stay tuned for 2005. You can hear it first on the BS Podcast on Sunday night. And then it will eventually land here a couple days later. See you then.